Good morning, Westbrook Park Church. Uh, we're having a couple difficulties, but you probably don't even know that. So we're going to try to keep it that way, other than me having just told you. Uh, this morning, we are going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 2. Um, this is a familiar passage to many people. And I suspect if you've been around me for a while, you probably think, Oh no, he's preaching that again, because I've preached it twice since I've been with you. And you probably think you know what I'm going to say, but you don't know what I'm going to say. Mark chapter 2, the first verse to the twelfth or the 11th verse. And when he, he being Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus Perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? What's easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Let's pray, and as we pray on the Word today, we'll also pray on your prayer concerns uh, that are on your heart. Lord, we thank you today for the Word to us. We thank you that you have sent your love letter to us in the form of 66 books of the Old New Testament. Lord, we don't master it, but we study it, we feed upon it, we are nurtured by it. And you give it to us that we might be able to serve you and to grow in our spiritual lives and in our walk with you. So Lord, today as we look at Mark chapter 2, the 11, first to the 11th verses, open this up to us. Lord, in the difficult days in which we live, help us to learn uh, something of you that is new, that can help us in our lives and in the week that lies ahead to be better servants of the kingdom that you call us to. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that Jesus died for our sins. We're thankful that he alone can forgive sins. Not only that, he can heal us, give his Holy Spirit, never leave us nor forsake us, and plan out and provide a place for us in the eternities. Now, Lord, be with us as we study your word today. These things we pray. Amen. Well, if I had to title today's message, it would be The Interrupted Life. The Interrupted Life. How many of you like to be interrupted? I don't like to be 
interrupted. Uh, sometimes when we have uh, our grandchild over, little Easton, sometimes he gets so excited that in the middle of a conversation, he shall step in and he will interrupt. I'm not fond of being interrupted. Now, some of you have had your lives, not just a conversation or two, but your lives interrupted in one way or another. A dear friend of mine from my childhood who I went to school with and actually worked with in my first job, uh, she is a four-time breast cancer survivor. A four-time breast cancer survivor. This past week, um, she went in and had surgery, a double mastectomy, and uh, she is one more time a survivor of breast cancer. But across the years, her life has been interrupted in, in major ways by that enemy called breast cancer. Some of you have faced likewise those interruptions in your life that come along and, and stop everything. Uh, I've been on a vacation or two where we had planned to go here or there or the other place. Uh, one time I can remember we were in Florida and we had plans in Florida but we vacationed in Georgia, and the reason was a hurricane came through and chased us out of Florida to Georgia. So even uh, anyone in any situation, in any circumstance, at any time, can have their plans interrupted. Now in the scripture passage this morning, I want you to notice that Jesus is interrupted. And I'll get into that in a minute in a bigger way. But look, if you would, at the first verse. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Now, if you were to take your Bible and read in the first chapter, you would find that Jesus had been out doing all manner of good. He was not only teaching the gospel, but he was healing people. Healing people possessed, healing people uh, that had demons. He had been doing a whole lot of healing and of changing people's lives. And here in this scripture in Mark 2, it tells us that he came back to Capernaum. And it says in Capernaum, the word got out that Jesus was home. Uh, you know, I, I suppose that by this point, uh, in Jesus' life, just starting his ministry in Mark chapter 1, at 30 years of age, for some people, he would have been a bit of what you might call a, a rock star. As he came back home, the crowds had heard what he had been doing. The crowds had heard what, what, what was going on. And when he came back, uh, the crowds gathered. We'll get into that in the next verse. But there's an interesting word that I want you to pay attention to. It says it was reported that he was at home. Now, some have speculated, and they're probably right, that when it says that Jesus was at home, uh, he was at the home of probably Peter and Andrew. But that's pure speculation. Whatever Jesus called home, he was home. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us everything, does it? When it says it was at home, there's a possibility that this was Jesus' actual home. We don't know that because Scripture doesn't tell us all the details. For instance, I'd like to have, you know, a, a little bit of insight into how Mary explained uh, to her mother about that whole virgin birth thing. I'd like to have some, but the Bible doesn't tell us about that. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that we don't have all the details on. All we have in Mark 2 and verse 1 is that the, the place or the space where Jesus would have been at home, at home, uh, was where he was. Now, home ought to be a place where you get rest. Uh, 
having been out there doing the healing that he was doing, having the crowds around him, he might have expected to be able to come home, turn off the cell phone, turn on ESPN, and sit down and relax with a cup of coffee. But no, that's not what happened. It says in the second verse that many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. The crowds had followed Jesus home. They were not coming. uh, Now again, this is pure speculation. But I don't believe they were coming uh, necessarily to be preached at. I don't think that they were coming uh, necessarily to be healed. I think they were coming just to see what Jesus was doing. And that crowd crowded their way into that house where he was, so much so that you could not even get through the door. Having been out there for all of Mark chapter 1, doing the things he was doing, when he came home, the crowds were large. And they gathered into that house. And as they were gathered there, uh, Jesus began to do something. And you find it in the second half of the second verse. He was preaching the word to them. When you get to the third verse, it says, because of that crowd, that they came. Now, just, just by way of information, we don't have names for who they were, but we know that they came. There were four of them. They were carrying a paralytic uh, with them, but they could not get into the house. They could not make it through the door, for the door was crowded with that huge crowd that came to see Jesus do something else. And when they came to see Jesus do something else, he was preaching to them. Now let's just stop for a minute. Let me say to you, I am in the midst of a really strange time in my ministry. I'm preaching in a parking lot. And church, I want to say to you that you better not think that when we go back in, things are going to return to normal, because they aren't. This has changed everything for us. I am not accustomed, you know, this summer when we were out here, we'd be out here and you folks saw it. Folks had come strolling through walking their dogs. Once or twice we had a stray car come rolling through here. Things were far different than what we are used to. Jesus was in a circumstance where things were far different than what he was used to. It says they came. These four men came, and they were bringing with them a paralytic. And as they came, they could could not get into the house. And it says in the fourth verse, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And they made an opening, and they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Let's stop and take into account what's going on. They removed the roof. They put a hole not only in the ceiling. I doubt that they had ceilings as we know them. But they took that thatch off that roof and they opened up the roof of the house that Jesus considered to be home. I want to tell you, when it comes to interruption, church, you can overcome a lot. I know sometimes young mothers get upset and walk out of the church because they think their baby cannot preach the pastor. 
they cannot out-preach me. I, it's never happened, and babies don't bother me. And if babies bother you, there's something wrong with you. We ought to be grateful for the babies in the church. But sometimes moms and dads think that babies are interruptions. They are not. You can overcome babies crying in the church. You can overcome people talking while you're preaching. Now, I've got to tell you, you, you may not think that happens, but it happens more than you know. You know, it occurred to me this week, I was thinking about this, getting ready to preach. For all I know, you're smiling at me this morning, listening to WHBC. I don't know, you know. Well, I don't really know what's going on here. You may be a, being nice, but you're not really here I've had folks come into church and read the Canton Repository while I preached. You can overcome a lot of distractions and a lot of interruptions, but I want to tell you, if you break a hole in the roof of the church or in the roof of my house, that would have been an interruption that I would have taken notice of. It would have been a real interruption. Remember what that verse said that we first read. This was where Jesus called home. Think about that for a minute. Home. He'd been out preaching. He'd come home to get rest. The crowds would eventually, the crowds that came along would eventually leave, but they were there right now. You ever, you ever had company that won't leave? You know what I'm talking about? You invite somebody over, and they don't know that, you know, after such and such a time, fish begin to stink or whatever that line is, that they don't know how to understand that, that enough's enough. I, I can sit and I can smile through that a long time. I've got to tell you, um, I've had that happen a few times in my life. And I imagine there's been times when I stayed beyond my reasonable expect life expectancy. But Jesus has a crowd, an uninvited crowd, and they're not leaving. And now they're poking holes in the ceiling. And I want to tell you, if I'm Jesus and this is my home where I want rest and I've been out preaching for a while and I've been telling people about Jesus, about the gospel, and I've come home and I just want to relax, when you poke a hole in the ceiling, you just made a new mess for me. You just made a new job for me today. We had that little grandson of ours over to visit yesterday. I'm upstairs and Janice and Easton are downstairs and I heard the conversation. Oh, Nana, can we get out these guitars? And they got out the guitars. Oh, Nana, can we get out this big electric keyboard? And they got out the big electric keyboard. Then, oh, can we get out the drum? Oh, Nana, I wish you had cymbals. Nana didn't have cymbals. She came up and got into the stove and got out some pot lid, you know, and some spoons. And then I heard him say, oh, Nana, whose trumpet is this? And out came the trumpet, and Nana said, well, that's Papa's trumpet. He played that in high school. And she said, oh, oh, oh Nana, Nana, we got to have a band. And the next thing you know, the guitars, the piano, the keyboard, <laughs> the trumpet, the cymbals, they're in my living room. They're up with me. And my little grandson is saying, Papa, you've got to join our band. And I eventually had to join the band. Then Mama showed up. And they left. And I want to tell you, it looked like we didn't have a band. We looked like we'd had a tornado or a hurricane. We had a mess to clean up. And I love him to death, to pieces. 
but it took just as long or twice as long to put it away as it did to get it out. Jesus has got company on the scene. His house is full. Everything's gone uh, along as he preaches and they begin to rip the roof off the house. And when Jesus, now stop and listen church, you got to make this jump. I just told you how bad it was with the crowd, the door jammed, and the roof coming off the house and the ensuing mess. But in this fifth verse, you've got to see how Jesus saw it. Jesus didn't see the mess. Jesus didn't see the roof falling off. He didn't see it the way that Joel would have seen it. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. Did you get that? When Jesus saw their faith. The crowd, the door jammed, the four interruptions carrying a fifth, dropping down through the ceiling they just ripped off. Jesus saw an act of faith. To Jesus, tearing the roof off the house was an act of faith. So what does he do? He looks at this paralytic who they've brought to Jesus to be healed, and he says to him, Your sins are forgiven. Can I tell you something? As Jesus has forgiven the sin of the interruption, and please hear what I'm saying there. I am saying what you think I'm saying, or maybe, maybe I need to explain that. If you rip the roof off my house, where I have gone to get some relief from the crowd that I've been with for a while, and you make a bigger mess for me than what there was before, and now I've got to clean up the mess, can I tell you something, church? There's not going to be a whole lot of forgiving right out of the gate. Jesus saw their faith. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Hear what Jesus said. Paralytic, that hole in my ceiling is no problem at all. Paralytic, the mess that you've made is not going to bother me. Oh yeah, you ripped the whole, the, the four of you ripped that roof right off my house. And you dropped this man down in here. And not only that. You interrupted my preaching. You interrupted what I had to say. I was preaching to this crowd and I was trying to get the gospel out and you interrupted it. No, Jesus just said, I forgive your sins. And in the sixth verse, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Now church, before we go to that next verse, I just got to tell you, you will always have the scribes and the Pharisees sitting there. You will always have the naysayers that will be watching the works of Jesus and saying, we can't have any of that around here. He looked at that paralytic and he said, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes were sitting there watching this, and they're questioning in their hearts. And in the seventh verse, we find out what they're questioning. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're questioning this. Why does he say that this man's forgiven? Why does he talk that way? He can't forgive his sins. Only God can do that. And this is Mary and Joseph's son. He's a carpenter. 
Well, for all we know, this is Peter and Andrew's house, and he doesn't even have a house of his own. He's just here to visit like us. Who does he think he is? You know, church, you will always have the scribes whenever Jesus is at work. You always have the naysayers hard at work to try to stop what God is trying to do. You'd have thought that those four that dropped that man down in the roof were an interruption. I want to tell you, sometimes it's like the sleight of hand of a magician. Where you think there's the problem, the problem's actually over here. And you got to open your eyes to that. And in the eighth verse, Jesus immediately perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Church, let me tell you something. Don't become a naysayer. Don't become a scribe or a Pharisee about the things that God's doing. Because listen, I may not know it. The person sitting next to you may not know it, but God knows it. Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves, asked them, why do you question these things in your heart? Then he's asked them a bigger question. What's, it, what's easier to say? Is it easier for me to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and take your bed and walk? And Jesus says, so you can know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And he looks at this paralytic and he says to him, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And that paralytic rose up, and immediately he picked up his bed. And he went out before them all, so that they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and they said, We've never seen anything like this. Now church, I want to tell you how it all started. It all started with an interruption. It all started with some sheaves being pulled off the roof it all started with a glimmer of daylight coming down into the house and pretty soon it was a gaping hole and pretty soon those four men that were really interruptions with that fifth paralytic that was really an interruption as Jesus is preaching away as that roof was ripped off and that man was dropped down into the room where Jesus was pre preaching Jesus was interrupted and that's how it all started because this interruption is going to become a life lesson for everybody in the house and everybody here today. It's about forgiveness. What's the first thing Jesus said to this man? Son, your sins are forgiven you. Can I talk to you for a minute about those words? Have you noticed, and maybe I've got this wrong but I don't think so, have you noticed that in the world today, forgiveness is a sign of weakness? Particularly right here where we live. Right here where we're at. You know, there was a time and a place when forgiveness was a respectable thing. When you walked up to somebody that you had wronged and you said, I am sorry for what I did to you, and that actually, your status in the eyes of those that knew about it raised. But today we don't even consider that in our world. All we're about today is how can I get even? How can I get my revenge? 
Have you noticed this? If your actions or anybody else's actions have injured somebody in some way, somebody is going to pay. We have removed ourselves so far from forgiveness and moved into a place of revenge that it's sad. And I'll give you a few phrases to help you understand what I'm saying. And you've all heard these phrases. I'll sue you. Right? I'll sue you. How about this one? I don't get mad. I get even. I mean, this is how our culture has come to. What, what our culture has come to. If you're on social media, it is a wonderful tool and can do a whole lot of good, church. But I've got to tell you, it is a cesspool as well. And that cesspool is a cesspool of unforgiveness along with a whole lot of other stuff. I have noticed in the last week or so, as we have uh, uh, watched what's gone on in our world, that folks just can't. Folks just can't love their neighbor the way they should. Folks just can't get along the way we should. We no longer want to get along. We want to even the score. We want to set things right. We want to have our revenge even if we can figure out a way to say that in a nice way. In church, when Jesus' roof of his home was ripped off and pulled off, and he didn't know who was going to clean up the mess where he lived, he didn't know who was responsible for that decision, or better yet, what was going to happen to the crowd that was there that probably had it fallen on their heads, when the roof was ripped off his house and he could have shouted and screamed, Stop it! You're destroying my home! Quit it! You're making a mess! Jesus said something far different. Jesus said... To the paralytic, I forgive your sins. They ripped a hole in the roof of his house and Jesus learned how to forgive what had happened that day in the interruption of the message he was trying to preach. Church, listen to me. They may have ripped a hole in the home that Jesus was in. But Jesus was ripping a hole in the foundation of their entire way of life. He was showing them a new way. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a weakness. When you consider what the cost of our forgiveness is, it is not a forgiveness. It is not a weakness. And so often, church, listen to me. We want to settle for second or third best because we want to sue. We want to get even. We want to set it right on our terms. And church, the good news is, Jesus wants to rip the roof and the foundation off of that house. Think for a minute, if you would, in the book of John, chapter 4, when Jesus comes to that woman of Samaria. She's dipping water out of the well. Do you remember that? And Jesus comes and interrupts her chore. He interrupts her task. He steps into her life and he says, I'd like to have something to drink. And this conversation ensues between Jesus and this woman. And if ultimately it comes down to, she says something about her husband. And Jesus says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have one. And Jesus says, I know, because you've had five. And the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. And let me tell you something, that interruption transformed that woman's life. 
You read on in that story. You go down a little bit further in John 4, and the whole city comes out to meet Jesus. And they believed, and the scripture says they believed because of her testimony, which was, he told me everything I ever did. When you get to the book of Acts chapter 9, you find there that Saul, listen to it for a minute to Saul's story. <laughs> and my battery just died on my iPad. <laughs> Give me a second, church. <laughs> We're going to go to Acts chapter 9. Honest we are. In Acts chapter 9, Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus. So if he found anyone that belonged to the way, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was on his way, he approached Damascus, and a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Church, Saul was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church. He had an agenda. He had made his plans. He knew what he was going to do. But Jesus stepped in and interrupted Saul's plans, just like he interrupted the lady at the well. He interrupted Saul's plans and put him on a new path, put him on a new direction. And he set Saul ultimately to write most of the New Testament and to take the gospel to parts of the world it never would have got to. It was all the result of an interruption. Church, listen. Do you think, do you think that Mary's life was interrupted when that angel said to her, that which is to be born in you, will be called the Son of God. Do you think Mary's life was meant to be that way? Was that what was on her agenda? Was that what she had planned for? I highly doubt it. And that brings me to my bottom line, church. And I want you to, to hear it. Life's interruptions are often God's invitations. Life's interruptions are often God's invitations. Have you ever heard this? Life is what happens when you're planning it. Have you heard that? You've heard that. Life is what happens when you're planning it. Church, let me ask you a question. How often has your life gone according to plan? How often has your life gone according to plan. I mean, you think that you're going to just sit back and make a go and you're going to say, in my life, I'm going to get married at such and such an age. I'm going to have children. I'm going to put them through college. I'm going to have this job. It doesn't work that way. Some of you have dealt with cancer. Some of you have dealt with death of someone you loved. Some of you have relationships that are severed with family members. Some of you have faced financial difficulty and none of those things were ever in the plan, but they were interruptions to your life. And sometimes life's interruptions are God's invitations. 
when Jesus is preaching a message in a house church and the roof comes off the house, he doesn't see it as an interruption. He sees it as an opportunity. And church, I want to tell you, we're in a parking lot this morning doing things different than we've ever done it. It is not that we've been interrupted because it's a bad thing. We need to ask, what's God going to do with this? We need to ask, what's God saying to us in this? We need to say, where has he interrupted our life and set us on a new path? Why has he done this? And what is it that we are to respond so that we grow in the opportunity to become more like him? Church life's interruptions are often God's invitations. So I want to encourage you to do something. The next time that something comes your way that isn't the way you'd have it to be, Take a moment to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what is in this that I need to see in order that I can do what you would have me do? Moms, let me tell you something. Moms of young children, that little son, that little daughter, they are not an encumbrance on your life. They are there for a reason. And when they wake up in the middle of the night and they need another bottle or they make a mess in the house and they need help cleaning it up, that is an opportunity for you to teach them something about Jesus. That's an opportunity that God's given you. He's interrupted your life with purpose. And friends, when when life pitches you sour grapes, when lemons come your way and you look at it and you say, oh, it's me, you need to step back and ask the question, Lord, what are you trying to say to me in this interruption? If the roof has been ripped off your house, you need to look around and see the opportunity that God has laid right in front of your eyes because he's done it for a reason. Eric, I'm going to ask you to throw up that final song. I can't do it out here.